Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. much time, I mean, you know, prior to like this week, have you spent much time thinking about essential services? Like essential, like what What exactly does that mean? You're going to hear increasingly that uh, you and I are um, discouraged from engaging in any non-essential travel and any non-essential, um, you know, leaving of our house and going and doing something. So what is essential Um, Who is defining that or how is that defined and what are the essential services? Well, I'm going to give you like the legal definition. All right. So essential services is our services, no matter who renders them. Okay, so essential services are services by who whomsoever rendered is the definite. You know, you can tell it's a fancy definition when it uses the word whomsoever by whomsoever rendered and whether rendered to or by the government uh, or to or by any other person. The interruption of which, here's the important part, the interruption of which would endanger the life, health, or personal safety of the whole or part of the population. So when you are deciding whether or not what you are about to go and do is essential, ask yourself, if I did not do this, if I stayed home instead of going to do this thing, would it endanger the life, the health, or the personal safety of the whole or part of the population. That's the essential question you and I are going to be asking in the coming days in determining for ourselves what is and is not essential. Is it essential that I physically go to um, uh, my church building on a particular corner at a particular time on a particular day to worship God? No, because God can be worshiped anywhere all the time. And I am able to engage, actually, in corporate worship via technology now in ways that in prior generations I would not have been able to. So it is no longer essential that I go to a physical church building in order to worship the Lord my God. So um, although I might prefer to do that, that might be my preference. I would really like to do that. I miss my church friends. It is not, by this definition, essential, nor is the uh, provision of those services by my church essential. They are not considered essential services. Um, And so uh, when you think about essential services, I want you to be praying today for the people who are providing essential services. If they quit doing what they're doing, um, our individual and our corporate lives would be endangered, the life, health, and personal safety of all or part of our community. So I'm going to lift up some essential services, farmers, truck drivers, Um, the people who make sure that your gas station has gas and the people who make sure your gas station is operational because they provide the power. Um, Essential services today would also include the Internet. Okay, so the people who are working to make sure the Internet stays up and running during these days are essential. First responders, medical personnel, um, the people at the post office, actually essential. All right, so there are some essential things 
that are a part of who we are as a people. And then there are a lot of non-essential things. And so um, basic sustenance is essential. Having the privilege of eating at your favorite restaurant on a particular day to celebrate something in your life that you think is important is actually not essential to the well-being of the of the country writ large. And, and right now, that's the conversation we have to be having with ourselves and with those we love best in the world. So I have a dear, dear friend who very much wants to, you know, pack up and go see the grandparents because after all, you know, kids are not in school. And so this is prime time, right? Go see the grandparents. Okay, I don't know how how strongly I can communicate why that is such a bad idea. All right, um, we are we are all we need to be about setting aside the things that we think we want, and instead um, considering the concerns of others as more important than ourselves. So, Grandma and Grandpa do not need your germs. You need to keep your germs at your house, and you need to allow them to be um, isolated. Uh, you know, not not in terms of growing lonely in terms of isolation. You need to provide for their needs, but let us also provide for their protection by not taking all of the germs that you might accumulate between your house and wherever they are um, and, you know, and arriving with all of that. All right. So next up, Dr. David Stevens, who's the head of the Christian Medical and Dental Association, he and I are going to talk about some recommendations, um, you know, for us uh, and those who contract the coronavirus. We're going to talk about who is at greatest risk. And um, and then I'm going to ask him some, some questions that people have been asking me. Like, if you get it, how long are you contagious or how long does it last? And, and could you ever, can you get it again? Like, anyway, those are the questions I'm going to ask Dr. Stevens in just a moment. We'll be right back. Joining me now, Dr. David Stevens from the Christian Medical and Dental Association. You can find them at cmda.org. Dr. Stevens, welcome back. Good morning, Carmen. How are you? Well, I I am well. How are you? I'm doing well. Doing a lot of interviews. Uh, This thing is really getting bigger than we even imagined a few weeks ago. So I know it's affected you all in Minnesota as well. Yeah, it's affected people uh, literally, I mean, literally everywhere, right? I mean, unless you're in West Virginia, you are in a state uh, that has a verified case of the coronavirus. Um, I do think that we are getting to the place where there, you know, we're we're only any of us going to be a few degrees at most of separation from someone who has it. And so, you know, I learned yesterday that one of the people who works at my YMCA, you know, tested positive for the coronavirus. Mm -hmm. And so... Um, uh, you know, so uh, there are places that are maybe surprisingly still open. The the Y seems like a, an odd place to still be open in terms of all of the germs that we share with one another in sweaty environments. But so let's talk about who's most at risk and um, and some of the things that we ought to be restricting ourselves from doing. Well, we actually have some great data that's come out recently from China on who actually gets it. And about 87% of the people between 30 and 79 years of age, actually under age nine, which is very interesting, it's less than 1%. Uh, 20-somethings, about 8%. So teens, 1.2%. So those younger ages, at least in China, 
have not gotten this disease, which is good for good news for those with uh, children and grandchildren. Uh, the ones at greatest risk are the people, uh, the older they are and the sicker they are. In fact, uh, the death rate uh, for everyone's about two to three percent, two to two and a half percent. But for people over 80, if they get this, it's about 15 percent. So uh, they cannot resist the virus. Their immunity is not as good. Often they have other comorbidities, other things that they have, illnesses that uh, that make this more serious. So uh, the older you are or the less healthy you are, the greatest risk you have with this disease. Um, so when we think about the reason that we would restrict our own um, activities, it really is for the protection of the most vulnerable at this point. Am, am I accurate in saying that? Yeah, but it's just the spread. I was just uh, thinking about this this morning. The average person that gets this gives it to two other people. So let's take that, for example. I mean, we don't know that concrete, but that's what's estimated. So take this example. I offer you $10,000, Carmen, or I'll give you two cents a day, but I'll double it every day for a month. Which would you take? Mm, and yeah, you'd I'm say, taking that doubling which, rate. Yeah, it's over a billion dollars. So that shows how this thing can begin to spread and get out of control. We only, you know, in the thousands of confirmed cases across the country. So why is everybody in a panic? Because this spread is getting out of control and it's doubling. Here in Tennessee, we had nine cases last Friday. By Saturday, we had 18. By Sunday, we had 40-some. You see the pattern here and you read that data and you go, whoa, oh, oh. We've got to stop the spread, and the only way to do that, of course, is social distancing and, and not passing it on to others. So in terms of the, the total number of cases um, globally, we ought to expect to to continue to see that rise. Um, let's talk a little bit about um, what your expectations are. I think that people like to know what to expect. Um, let's talk a little bit about the expectation in terms of uh, – the cases you expect to see diagnosed here in the United States as testing is more and more readily available. Yeah, the government's actually putting together huge trucks with uh, people that are going around being able to test in remote locations. This is going to be much more common. I believe we'll have drive-through testing within the next couple of weeks where you can go in your car and they will actually test you as you uh, sit there in the driver's seat. Uh, they've done that in Korea and uh, and tested a lot of people. Uh, people worry, what is the test? They actually take a swab of your throat and a swab of your nose. It's a little uncomfortable for a few minutes because they go pretty far back in your nose to get the sample. Uh, a rapid test is coming out. Uh, what we're expecting is this is going to continue to get worse. What they're going to be looking for is, is you know, we're shutting down sporting events, shutting down restaurants, shutting down schools, shutting down whatever, is to to decrease the curve. In other words, we're going up at a, a rapid rate, and what we need to do is what happened in China. It leveled off and then began to decrease. And so uh, we'll try to decrease the rate and then level it off, and then we'll begin to see it drop. So uh, that's why all these things that disrupt our daily lives uh, are so important, because if not, that rate is going to increase exponentially, and uh, this will touch all of us unless we stop uh, stop that curve. All right. I'm talking with Dr. David Stevens from the Christian Medical and Dental Association. Uh, he and I are going to take a very brief break. When we come back, I'm going to ask him uh, for some recommendations on what to do if you or a loved one contracts the coronavirus. We'll be right back. Fear is liar. 
I'm talking with Dr. David Stevens from the Christian Medical and Dental Association. You can find them at cmda.org. Um, Dr. Stevens, if um, if we contract it or if someone we love in our household contracts the coronavirus, um, COVID-19, could you give us some recommendations on what to do? Sure. If you get sick with any upper respiratory tract infection, whether you even know it's COVID or not, you need to stay home except to get medical care. Uh, avoid public areas, avoid public transportation, don't go to the grocery store, uh, stay home. Separate yourself from other people and animals in your home. It's interesting they're recommending the animals because we know this is a zootic virus. It, it came from animals, and the concern is that animals could carry it. We don't know for sure, but don't cuddle with your pets, your cat or your dog or whatever. If you're sick, sick stay away from others. Uh, call ahead before visiting your doctor. Just don't show up at your doctor's office. Uh, they need to be prepared to, they'll put you in a separate room. They'll put a mask on you uh, so you can't uh, give this to others as easily. If you cough, you send out droplets three to six feet and they hang in the air for up to three hours. So they don't want those droplets in the office. They're going to put a mask on you. Uh, wear a face mask if you're sick. And then if you're caring for others, if you have someone in your home that is sick and could have COVID virus, uh, you want to wear a face mask. Uh, cover your coughs and sneezes. Uh, dispose of Kleenexes and things and clean out the trash can regularly. People should wear gloves while they're doing that or wash their hands immediately after touching anything like that. Uh, the person sick should clean their hands often. Soap and water's best. Hand sanitizer is second best. Avoid sharing personal household items. Uh, not Don't share dishes, drinking glasses, cups, towels, bedding, and wash everything thoroughly after use. Uh, anything that you're touching needs to be cleaned at least every day. Um, the easiest thing to do is just go get the, the Clorox and uh, put five tablespoons of Clorox in a gallon of water. It's a great disinfectant or four teaspoons and a quart of water. Put it in a spray bottle, spray things down, and uh, that'll help uh, kill the virus very quickly. It can stay on surfaces for, for up to um, nine hours. And some studies, other studies said five hours. So cleaning surfaces is important. Monitor your medical symptoms. Uh, if you start having shortness of breath and difficulty breathing, your respiratory rate goes up, you need to uh, immediately uh, get health care and probably go to the emergency room. Uh, alert your health department. Your doctor will probably test you. But if you're positive, the doctor will do that for you and let the health department know. And then you'll be sick for about two weeks. Um, uh, this uh, takes about five days to show up and then about two weeks to disappear and your health care uh, provider will let you know when it's safe for you to continue being around people again. So a lot of things to it, but mainly it's isolation and protecting others. Are you contagious the whole time? It peaks, it peaks right around when the symptoms are the worst. But as far as we know, you're contagious the whole time. But the viral load, the amount of virus that you're spreading begins to decrease. And uh, they've actually looked at that, and the far end of it is two weeks. So that's why you need to be isolated for two weeks. By two weeks, you're not spreading the virus any longer. Okay. And then can you get it again? Not that we know of. And with most viruses, you build up immunity to that virus. That's why you get over it, because the virus actually, a virus actually goes in and takes over cells in your body and has those cells begin to make more virus for it. It, it kind of grabs your cells and makes little factories out of them. 
Well, your immune system says, whoa, watch out. And so the immune system begins to attack those viruses and killing them. It takes a while to get over it because uh, some of those virus particles are still hiding in cells and taking over machinery. But after two weeks, that's better. And uh, you should have immunity for life, at least against that virus. And then COVID-19 is the is the very is the specific name of the variety of this particular coronavirus. But coronavirus is is a big wide category. Am I am I accurate in saying that? And that's true. And most of the coronaviruses we don't have much problem with. They cause colds. And uh, But what's happening, these are zootic. That means they've come through animals. There's been three of them so far, SARS, uh, MERV. SARS started in China. It came from civet cats. They were the intermediate host, passed it on to humans. Uh, the uh, MERS, which is the Mideastern one, came from camels. This one, just recently, the report is it may have come from snakes. They eat snakes. I've been to Taiwan. They serve snakes at the market, uh, and you can buy them and take them home and eat them. And there's some evidence that that may be the intermediate host. The first host is bats. We know that. All three of these viruses came from bats initially, but then were passed on to other animals, which passed on to us. The problem with these new viruses, we have no immunity to them. Our bodies have never seen them before. And so they jump from animals to humans, and that's what makes them so deadly until we build up resistance around the world through immunity uh, or a vaccine. Good news is, Carmen, they started stage one trials with a vaccine this week, and uh, they're starting with 45 people taking different doses, two different doses uh, of this, and uh, and set different doses for different groups, and then each take uh, two injections. And they're going to see if there's side effects and then go to bigger trials to see effectiveness. So we're making progress, but we're still a good ways away from getting a viral uh, a vaccine for this virus, because I, I would guess it would be the end of the year or even later. Um, Dr. Stevens, I know that we have, you know, lots of uh, of Christians listening who are concerned about vulnerable populations like the homeless. Any any sense of like how we as a nation are going to respond to exposed communities who have very little ability to do the kinds of things that we have talked about uh, in terms of self-care? Yeah, it's a risk not only for them, it's a risk for everyone else because they're not getting the care they need or the isolation they need. Fortunately, we have a law in the books that anybody can go to emergency room and be treated whether they can pay for it or not. But there is already efforts underway to try to find places for these people to live where they can be monitored. Uh, and also have, um, and, and I think it's something we need to be doing, not just for the homeless, but for elderly, for the shut-ins and ever, everyone else. I spoke at church, our church on Sunday three times this week. We won't probably have services next week, but I said, this is a great opportunity for us as Christians to to show the love of Christ. God says, love your neighbor. And God says, put yourself at risk for others. That doesn't mean you don't take precautions when you go visit them, but we should be providing food for people who can't get to the store. We need to be taking care of the sick that are by themselves and at home. And uh, this is an opportunity for us to have a witness to to our neighbors and to the world, as well as doing what God has told us to do. And that's uh, my, my son's a hospitalist in a large hospital in the South. He's putting his life at risk every day. He called me the other day and said, you know, things are going to get bad. Uh, we, I may send your, you know, my daughter and our four grandkids up to be with you guys because I don't want to take this home to them. 
But uh, that's the things we're dealing with. But we do that with joy, not with fear. We do it because God called us to serve. He says, uh, you know, fear not. I I am with you. Don't have a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. We do the right things, but we don't isolate ourselves from the needs of others and uh, take precautions as we can, but we help take care of them. I think this is a great opportunity because God does his best work often in crisis is when we can show him the best to others. Amen. Dr. Stevens, we're going to um, be praying for you, um, in particular, that your your voice um, continues to make you able to uh, to speak uh, on behalf of, uh, of Christians in the medical and dental professions, um, because you're, the way that you speak into these concerns is powerful and important. So thank you so much for uh, being with us today. Be assured of our prayers for you and others in, uh, on the front lines of this, of this health care concern. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Carmen. We'll be right back. All right, so we're going to change gears a little bit, just a little bit. And we are going to talk with Ron Deal. You know Ron. uh, And we're going to talk about building love together in blended families. He has a new book by that title, Building Love Together in Blended Families, that he co-authored with Gary Chapman. And so up next, uh, Ron Deal, he and I are going to talk about, you know, well, some of the stresses you might be experiencing at home right now, particularly if you are in a blended family. But we're also going to talk about how the five love languages can really be lived out in the context of your step family. All right. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. All right, so we have tons of resources uh, posted for you at MyFaithRadio.com. Um, and you might be thinking to yourself, hey, since I'm, since I'm home and uh, I'm looking for some things maybe to do, or I'm looking for some ministry resources to share with people who are discouraged um, and don't know the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord, maybe you could share MyFaithRadio.com with someone else. You could go and you could find a podcast that is particularly helpful. You could find a blog post. Um, Maybe if you are in need of a study Bible, we are always giving those away. This month's uh, giveaway Bible is the uh, Jeremiah Study Bible, Dr. David Jeremiah's teaching and notes included therein. You just enter to win a copy at myfaithradio.com. We give away a copy every single week. So um, all kinds of opportunities. You could also download the Faith Radio app so that when you are out taking a walk and getting some fresh air, um, you can take us with you and you can continue to be encouraged in your walk of faith. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. Anxiety is a meteor shower of what ifs. The sky is falling and it's falling disproportionately on you. Anxiety ain't fun. This is Max Licato. One would think that Christians would be exempt from anxiety, but we're not. It's enough to make us wonder if the Apostle Paul was out of touch with reality when he wrote in Philippians 4, 6, be anxious for nothing. Is that what he meant? Not exactly. He wrote the phrase in the present active tense, implying an ongoing state, as if to say, don't let anything in life leave you perpetually breathless and in angst. Yes, the presence of anxiety is unavoidable, but the prison of anxiety is optional. Could you use some calm? Of course you could. We all could. We all could use a word of comfort. 
and God is ready to give it. This is Max Locato. Joining me now is Ron Deal. Uh, you can find him all kinds of places. The easiest place to go and find him is rondeal.org. He has joined up with uh, Jerry, uh, Jerry Cha- Gary Chapman. <laughs> I can read. Um, and, uh, and is here today not only to talk about this excellent new book, Building Love Together in Blended Families, but also to invite all of us to the Blended and Blessed streaming event at the end of April. And you can find all the information related to that at blendedandblessed.com. Ron, welcome back. Well, good morning. It's good to be back. Streaming, that's a key word these days, isn't it? (laughs) That's a key word these days. Um, We might not all be traveling to Houston to the Blended and Blessed event at the end of April, but we can all participate online in this, uh, because technology has given us the opportunity to gather together in ways that a generation ago would have been impossible. Tell us a little bit about the Blended and Blessed event. And again, people can find it at blendedandblessed.com. Yeah, it's a live stream event that we've done now for three. This is the fourth year. Um, Blended family couples uh, have churches are very slow to respond to blended family couples to know what to do to how to help. It's uh, very rare for a church to have anything that's designed to help step families have stronger, healthy families. So we've designed an event that brings it right to your door, so to speak, or to your smartphone. Uh, we love it when churches host this event, which they can do, and the website blendedandblessed.com will tell them how to do that. And they can put as many people in the room as they can get. And of course, these days, we're not putting many people in the room. So you, you can be in your home, just you, husband and wife streaming on your laptop or uh, to your TV or your smartphone, whatever works for you. But Gary Chapman will be there. Laura Petherbridge, who, who co-authored the Smart Stepmom book with me, uh, Bill Butterworth. We're, we're going to be presenting uh, seminars and workshops all day, a panel discussion. I'm going to be interviewing children on what it's like to grow up in a blended family to try to help adults understand that a little bit better. It's it's a day of enrichment and programming and worship uh, designed specifically for step families. So Ron, let's, um, let's pivot and talk a little bit about this book that you and Gary Chapman um, have offered to us. It's Building yeah. Love Together in Blended Families. And, um, you know, it takes the five love languages and really applies them uh, in the step family context. Um, talk, talk about that. Talk about what needs to be translated in the five love languages uh, in terms of a blended family. Well, Gary Chapman is such a humble guy, but can you imagine the conversation that I had with him? He's one of my heroes, of course, and he's impacted people all over the world. And one day I had to sit down with him and say, there's something else, <laughs> you know, that you mm-hmm. haven't talked about. And the love languages, if you're familiar with the concept, it's simply the idea that one of the ways I love somebody well, whether it's a child or a spouse or whoever it might be, is understanding the language they speak best that really communicates to them care and concern. And then how do I speak that language? And for some, it's physical touch. For some, it's words of affirmation, gifts, quality time or acts of service. But the assumption that Gary has within all of that is that the recipient of your expression of love actually wants your love. They actually want you to love them. 
But what if they're confused about their relationship with you? What if it's a stepchild, for example, and you're still in the bonding phase and they, don't, they really don't want quality time with you? You, you? What if their love language is physical touch and the last thing they want you to do is hug them, right? How do you, how do you utilize the love language pr principles but do so with wisdom in a way that's actually going to help you build love together as opposed to what happens a lot of time is, is you force it and the, the recipient is going, okay, wait a minute, back up. I don't love you enough, trust you enough, uh, respect you enough for us to share that sort of an exchange. So I need you to go away. Things just got harder instead of easier. So if, uh, if Ron Deal is ringing your bell or your family bell right now, if you are one of more than the half of all U.S. families that um, have some kind of step relationship, then we want to invite you to um, consider entering the drawing for one of the copies that we have here in the studio of Building Love Together in Blended Families. All you have to do is text the word BOOK to 877-933-2484. If you are interested in a copy of Building Love Together in Blended Families, Ron, uh, Deal and I have to take a very brief break. But when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation about how we um, apply the five love languages uh, in our step family situations. We'll be right back. All right, those of you listening on the live stream, um, I know you just freaked out because you had 18 seconds of uh, of nothing. So um, just just be patient in those moments. Not everything works exactly right every single day and every single moment. So breathe deeply. We didn't go anywhere. We're right here. All right, Ron Deal and I are continuing our conversation about love, about step families, blended families, and about how we apply or live out the love languages in our blended family. So, Ron, again, thank you so much for being here today. Um, folks can find Ron at rondeal.org. You can find the Blended and Blessed event information at blendedandblessed.com. The book is Building Love Together in Blended Families. Um, Ron, let's talk about, um, let's do this. Let's, what's the difference between a love language and learning a particular dialect? Let, let's, let's go that direction. Yeah, Gary's concept here is, so somebody's love language might be quality time, but dialects are little nuances within a particular language. If you happen to be from the North in the United States, maybe you speak English with a little different accent, and there's a few different words that people use. If you're somewhere in the Southeast part of the U.S. or in the South where I am in Arkansas, and I'm not born and bread from here. I'm from the upper Midwest uh, originally, but boy, people have a twang down here. And th those are dialects, okay? And we, we come to understand that those are nuances in language. Same thing's true in an in in emotional relationship. So it may be, well, here's an illustration that we share in the book. One guy, his first wife, her love language was quality time. And what that meant for them, what that translated into is they could sit and watch a movie together and it was great. That really counted in his wife's heart, if you will, as, as time well spent. Um, she passed away. He became a widow. Uh, a few years go by. He marries another woman 
whose love language is, guess what, quality time. He's like, oh, I got this. I know what this is. I know what this looks like. But turns out sitting side by side watching a TV show or a movie doesn't count <laughs> for his Like what she really wants quality time for her is interactional time, is, is uh, talk time. It's looking at each other. It's uh, doing something productive together, but there's interaction involved in it. So the dialect is different even though the love language was the same. So what he had to do is unlearn <laughs> how to love his previous wife and relearn, if you will, uh, how to love his new wife. And really, that gets at the heart of what I think Gary teaches so well. And that is, you know, dying to self and learning how to love the other person in a way that's meaningful to them, that's that, there's sacrifice wrapped up into that. This is the daily stuff we do in love relationships. And again, caring for children or an aging parent, you know, there's similar attributes to this. It's dying to me. It's learning what communicates well to you and shows you how I really feel. And then loving in that way uh, in order to strengthen your usness and uh, continue to affirm the other person's value to you. So, Ron, as a uh, as a stepmom entering into like uh, close to year ten, um, so I've now got you know these teenage and young adult stepchildren, um, mm-hmm. and now uh, now grandbabies as well. But um, I would say that one of the things I continue to need to be reminded of is that they're all growing up and developing and learning more about themselves and becoming who they're going to be. And the relationships go through these seasons of becoming very complicated and complex as they're figuring those things out. And I am trying to figure those things out as well along with them and responding well in the midst of all of that. This is not like a once and done thing. It's not like I diagnose my three-year-old stepchild to be this kind of person and then I could just apply that and just move forward like like that's always going to work. Um, So talk a little bit about the dynamics over time um, in step families. And and then maybe speak to the particular challenges that people might be facing right now, um, you know, culturally, as we are in what is just granted super weird space related to mm-hmm. isolation and, and people being told to stay certain places and how that's going to affect people who are supposed to be, you know, like by law moving back and forth between households. So let me just draw a parallel between um, what's happened even with coronavirus right now in our world from a social standpoint. Okay, so what, three weeks ago, we shook hands and gave people hugs at church. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, there was a sense of togetherness and it was okay to have physical touch at a certain level. Uh, now it's not. What are we, you know, we're elbow bumping. We're not even fist bumping. We're not even touching hands. We're just, or we're just keeping the six feet gap between. Does that mean we stop loving people? No. Does that mean that they don't care about us anymore? No. It just means we're all, you know, kind of hypersensitive right now to, to what's going on in our world, and so there's a little bit of a gap there. I imagine there's going to be a day, not too far off in the distance, although anxiety tells us otherwise, where we go back to hugs and, uh, you know, handshakes and appropriate social cues like that. I think the journey, as you mentioned, in a blended family often is one step forward, two steps back, maybe one step back, two steps forward. And seasons of life bring to the surface once again uh, that we have a ambiguous relationship and we are continually defining our step relationship. So kids who, when they're young, are like giving you hugs as the stepmom 
all of a sudden hit the teenage years and they're back to an elbow bump or a six feet gap in their relationship with you. And, and you feel the difference. It's very clear that right now it's not so close. We have to maintain a little distance. But I think there'll be cycles where you come back. Like So there's this ever evolving connectedness together, but not so close. Uh, there's an ambiguity to step relationships that is part of the journey. I think when you understand that, your expectations get to the right place. And I think for adults, in particular for step parents, you stop seeing it as this is rejection. This kid's backing up from me. They won't let me. Now, you know, often it's not rejection. It's just there's something going on in the climate that's making us have a little more space in our relationship. Maybe it's their relationship with their other biological mother in the case of a stepmom. Um, so the child's just feeling, boy, I'm missing my mom right now, so it's hard for me to warm up to you because I really want her, more of her, not less of her. For whatever reason, I'm getting less of her. So you can begin to see how those things just invade uh, uh, a child's heart and make it difficult for them to draw close. Again, looking for love. One of the things we talk about in the book, Carmen, I think is so important, is listen for love from a child in particular in ways that you wouldn't, that are indirect. Uh, sometimes a, a stepchild cannot say directly to a stepdad, for example, thank you so much for all you do ar around this house for me. Thank you for caring for me. Thank you for sending me to school, on and on and on. But what they might do is tell a friend that they're grateful for you. So for whatever reason, they, it's hard to say it directly, but they can say it indirectly. Now, if you can listen with ears that that is an expression of gratitude and thankfulness and appreciation and value and love, then your heart gets <laughs> a much needed little dose of encouragement. If you don't hear with those ears, then you just constantly feel like the child is ungrateful. Those are the nuances that you have to learn to listen to, I think, in a blended family in order to see that we've got more here than it looks like. So um, you and I are out of time, Ron, but I love talking with you. I hope you'll come back. We want to encourage those who are interested to text the word book to 877-933-2484. I do have copies of Building Love Together in Blended Families uh, to give away. And so all you have to do is text the word book to 877-933-2484. We also want to encourage you to go to blendedandblessed.com and consider the live stream opportunity on April the 25th. Ron, again, thank you so much for being with us uh, here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. You can find Ron at rondeal.com. All right. Thank you, as always, for joining me here. I look forward to it each and every morning. Encourage you today to um, give your soul some attention. Spend some time in God's Word. Spend some time in concerted prayer. Pray for the concerns of the world and the nation. Place yourself before God in um, just, just in acknowledgement that we need him. His mercies are new every morning. I thank God that his mercies are new today for each and every one of us. He holds you in the very hollow of his hand. Your name is written there. Don't ever forget that. Um, you are precious to the Lord our God, and he loves you. And he is working out his good purposes, even in the context of a day that seems completely out of our control. Have a great day and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. 
If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.